All right. Praise God, you guys. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. I know we've looked at a couple verses that I'm going to mention, and we actually went through them a little bit, or quite a bit. But I want to look at them again, but just briefly for a minute or so, and then move on to a lot of different texts. Because I felt like I left some meat on the bone, if you will, in regard to a passage I've gone through just not too long ago as we're working our way through 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4. But uh, we left off in chapter 4, verse 8, and I want to do a little more on that. And I want to challenge you, in the name of the Lord, man, to be, to be awake, to be, to be fruitful, to be a Christian athlete. Because look what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Beginning, we'll look at verse 7 because it kind of, he picks it up. We really want to pick it up at the end of verse 7. But have nothing to do with worldly fables, fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of what? Godliness, right? We've looked at the word discipline, gymnazo, which is the word we get gymnasium from. So if you're reading this in the New Testament Greek, Koine Greek, that word would jump out at you because that's the word that our English word gym comes from. And I point out that uh, agonizomai is a word that Paul uses a little bit in this context as well. And it's translated as strive. And the athletes would strive. But Paul's talking about spiritual discipline in God's spiritual gym. And he says in verse 8, For bodily discipline is only of what? Little profit. Some read that and think they don't need any exercise at all and don't have to eat right and say, and they read that as though it says zero profit. It doesn't say zero profit. It says of little profit. And that little there is compared to what? Eternity, amen, and spiritual profit, which is what? He goes on to say, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life because physical promise really, or physical exercise holds promise just for the present life as well, but at a minor level compared to the spiritual life. Since it holds promise, that is now spiritual discipline, spiritual exercise for the present life, and also for what? For life to come, for eternity, you know. And I personally believe that there will be different rewards in heaven because Jesus made it very clear, Paul made it very clear, that people be rewarded according to their works. Now we're saved, not based on our works. We're saved by grace through faith, that not of ourselves, the gift of God, not of works as anyone should boast. Amen? We're saved because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. His unmerited favor, he paid for our sins, amen? So we're saved by his free gift through saving us, amen? amen. The works that we do, we do because we love him. Not so he'll save us, amen? amen. We, we do these good works because he saved us, it says, right after it says he saved us by grace through faith, and that's not of ourselves, the gift of God, not of works, that anyone should brag about it. It says, it goes on to say, he saved us unto good works, that he created us, very, very next verse, verse 10, he created us for good works, in Christ Jesus, that we are his workmanship, created for good works. Amen? And the Greek word workmanship there, it's, it's, it speaks of how uh, we are his craft. We are his, we are living image of him. You're his, you're, you're basically his masterpieces. Oh, now, Joe, that might be too outlandish. Are you kidding? Who made you? The creator of the universe? Amen. Is he the master? Amen. And he made you in his image? Amen. That's a big deal, you guys. You're made in the image of God. Okay? Don't sit around like a bump on a log thinking, oh, well, life. You're in the image of God, the creator of the universe, the king of kings, lord of lords, amen. He's made you to serve him. That's an awesome deal. So we've got to get off our rear ends and serve him. 
And we should do it because we love him. Amen? Because of how good he is. Now, it also, Paul does talk about in the context of being judged for our works. He does say it's, you know, because we are going to face him at the Bema seat. That's the Greek word for the seat that will stand before the Bema seat was where judgments were made on earth in the Roman Empire during that time by judges. But we're going to sit before the Bema seat of God who will judge the living and the dead. And Paul says, therefore, you know, we persuade others. He says, with fear. Because it's also something that, hey, this is a big deal. We're going to stand before God, you know, and give an account for our lives. So you want to make sure you are in the faith, amen, and that you're trusting Jesus. And that's key. That's huge. But we spent time already in verse 8, and we talked a bit, quite a bit about it. And I don't want to spend time there, but I want to ask you, why is Paul emphasizing and contrasting physical exercise with spiritual exercise? Because what would come to mind, especially with the word gymnazo, gym, and now exercise, is that culture, much like our culture here in the United States and many cultures around the world, uh, was absorbed in sports, athletics. In the Greco-Roman world, they had the Grecian Olympics. The Greeks were ruling the world, the, the known world at that time, or the Western, you know, the, what became the Roman Empire. Much of that was already ruled by the Greeks. Now the Romans are ruling it, and they've imbibed those Greek games, and they still have these, you know, these, these athletic games, these Olympics. That's where they started, by the Greeks. So Paul's writing to Titus, or to Timothy. Timothy's dad is, you remember, his dad is Greek, non-believer. His dad was probably big time in his sports. Not that that's bad. It is bad if it takes precedent over Jesus, amen? So what's a trip about this is, this is not like a strange analogy. Paul's, probably Paul's favorite analogy to use throughout his writings is sports. You know, he, he loved to use sports analogies for the Christian race. And God's allowed many, many things in his creation through directly creating things or through his providence as examples as to how to live a Christian life. Farming. Paul uses farming a lot too. In fact, he uses soldiering. He uses athletics. And he uses farming in the space of just a few verses in 2 Timothy. You know? It's kind of interesting. And uh, Jesus used a lot of the agrarian, you know, pictures. But it's interesting because, in fact, go to 2 Timothy chapter 2 now. And let's not focus on the spiritual exercise and discipline. We will a little bit, but not in the context of these verses so much as other verses that we will look at. So you go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. Look at what Paul says here. And it's, you know, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says, if anyone competes as a what? As an what? As an athlete. He does not win the prize unless he what? Competes according to the rules. So we're supposed to, we're not going to win the prize unless we compete according to the rules. Well, what are the rules regarding the Christian faith? What's he talking about here? What's Paul's point? And just before that, he says in verse 4, or verse 3 and 4, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier is active, in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may what? Please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. We are God's soldiers, amen? We're in God's army, amen? So we're not supposed to say, oh, I'm saved. I want to take a hiatus for the rest of my life and just wait till I go to heaven. No, we're supposed to be serving God as the soldiers, amen? And we wrestle out against flesh and blood, right? But against principalities and powers, we're his wrestlers. 
But he goes on to say, put on the whole armor of God. Why? Because we're soldiers. I've warned you for years, if you don't put on the armor of God, you're going to get whipped up by the enemy because he's flinging those arrows all over at you. So you have to make sure you're soldiering for Jesus, but you also need to make sure you're wrestling for Jesus. You need to make sure you realize you're supposed to be an athlete for Jesus. And we talked about, when we talked about spiritual disciplines, that Christians have a, not just a gym, the gymnasio, but we have a diet. What's our diet? The Word of God. I use all these different scriptures, how the Bible's food, Amen. It's drink, amen. Match not by bread alone, amen. And his word is, is living, it's alive. And Jesus' words are spirit and life, he said. So we have this diet, we have all those things. I don't want to retrace all those things, but I want to challenge you to run the race. I mean, look at it again, verse 5. Also, he says, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. Well, I want to know what the rules are. I know Jesus talked a lot about the race. I know he talked a lot about persevering to the end. A lot of times when you hear about Jesus' teachings, one of the things you don't hear a lot about his emphasis on perseverance. But when you look at Jesus' teaching and what he emphasized, he does emphasize that a lot. You just don't hear people, well, perhaps you in this fellowship, we emphasize that a lot. Jesus was all about persevering. Do you know how many times he warned about being ready for a second coming? Just read about a second coming. He's always talking about having your lamps lit. Amen. Talking about those ten bridesmaids and five had them lit at the end and five didn't. And the five that didn't have theirs lit got shut out. Amen. He talked about he that endures the end will be what? Saved. He talked about no one who sticks his hands to the plow, right? And looks what? Back is worthy of the kingdom of God. Amen. He talked about the salt that loses its flavor. Amen. It's worthless and to be cast out. He said, he warned his apostles, remember Lot's wife. Did she finish her race? No, she looked back. Paul said, forgetting those things that are behind, reaching forward, amen? We're in a race. And Jesus talked about this finishing over and over again. And as believers and as, as your pastor, I love you guys. And I have to constantly encourage my brothers and sisters in Christ to finish the race, man. This life is so quick. The race will be over before you know it. I always tell you, it gets, the Bible says it's like a vapor, right? But it's so, Lisa and I were just talking about this. We were just talking about this the other day. I'm like, we always say it gets faster as you get older, but it seems like it's getting even faster. It seems like summer just started, and I'm at the end of summer right now. So I know we've been so busy. I always feels like I'm going to race. I'm always racing here. I'm always racing there. But it's okay, because I'm going to get a lot done for Jesus. I'm going to keep it up until he takes me by his grace. But we are in a race. Now, it's interesting, in the Greco-Roman world, because Paul mentions here he has to compete according to the rules. They had rules, man. You had to train for at least 10 months straight. You had to check in. For a minimum of 10 months, you had to train hard. You know, and they trained hard. And it's interesting because uh, in the ancient Grecian games, the participants had to swear an oath to Zeus, a statue of Zeus, that is, the Roman god, you know, and, uh, and it was grueling. The training was very, very strict. And I, and I thought about it, but I thought, no, I don't want to spend all this time talking about how they trained. But it was ridiculous how hard they trained. But guess what? We're training. And look, go ahead and look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, what he said to the Corinthians in regard to being a Christian athlete. And you are an athlete. I don't care what shape you are in physically. Spiritually, you need to be in shape. 
You make sure you finish your race. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul is talking about preaching the gospel to others. And he talks about how we need to finish the race that's set before us. He talks about how he beats his body down and makes sure he finishes his race. Verse 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race, that's 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may win. Now in the race that we're in, we're not competing against each other, amen? We're helping each other, amen? amen. We're not supposed to grow weary in well-doing, and we're supposed to help one another. But we're, we're running against the track. We're running against the enemy who's trying to stop us. Verse 25, everyone who competes in the games exercises what? Self-control in all things. Now, he mentions self-control. It's very important because if you do not have the fruit of the Spirit in your life, the fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, joy, right? Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, self-control. You guys, self-control is an important part of the fruit of the Spirit. If you're walking in faith, you'll bear the fruit of righteousness, including the fruit of the Spirit, amen? So these are basically outcomes of your faith. You're saved by grace through faith, but if you continue trusting Jesus, the just shall live by faith, Hebrews 10, 38, 39. The just shall live by faith, but he that draws back, my soul will have no pleasure in him. So if we continue in the faith, we will have the fruit of the Spirit, including self-control. And he says in verse 25, everyone who competes in the games exercises what? Self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a what? A perishable wreath. But we what? An imperishable wreath. That's interesting. We, you know, we get this imperishable wreath. Now it's interesting to me because uh, they had this uh, sacred olive tree by a temple of, of Zeus, a temple that was actually dedicated to Zeus. And, and it was a sacred olive tree, you know? And they would take olive branches from this sacred olive tree at the temple of Zeus and they would turn it, they'd make wreaths out of it. So you're like, wow, I'm getting one from the sacred tree at Zeus's temple on my head if I win. But Paul says it was a perishable wreath. How long do you think an olive branch would last? I just cut a bunch of branches off trees recently because, well, huge branch came down. And I had to just cut it up. I've been putting it off too long. And I finally, I always, when my wife asked me to do something, I always finally get around to it. I don't always get around to it the next day, though, because I always have a, a to-do list, right? And that, that's a huge branch. I knew it would be a ton of work, you know? And it um, sure helps to have, it, you know, have a chainsaw I didn't have before, cheaper one, but it worked, man. I was like, I got the chainsaw. I can finally do that, you know? And, uh, but you know what? Those things, I went back there today, Clean up the backyard and stuff, doing my chores. And uh, man, they're already so, they were already kind of dry, but now, because the branch, a huge branch broke down, but now they're even drier. You can just snap them. This, these wreaths, they would just wear out really, really quick. And they would work their tails off to get these things. And they were perishable. But look what Paul says. Everyone who competes, verse 25, in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive what? A perishable wreath. I mean, some of the most painstaking workouts that you would just like die just watching, be in agony watching for a perishable wreath. But we do it, he says, for what? An imperishable wreath. What kind of wreath do we get? What's the crown called? 
The crown of what? The crown of life. In fact, in James, and he mentions one of the roles there, in James chapter 1, verse 12, he says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For when he has been approved, you've got to be approved. Once he's passed the test, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Not to those who've turned away from him. Not to those who hate him. Not to those who whine about him and complain about God. They don't get the crown. Those who persevere under the trials. Meaning they continue in the race of faith. Amen? They don't throw in the towel. They don't go back to the world system. Paul says to Timothy, he laments that his brother Timothy, who he mentions in two other letters besides Timothy, as a servant of God, he says, Timothy, he says, Demas has forsaken me because he's loved this world more than, he loved this world system because he loves the world. He left me. That's serious. James 4.4, 4, you adulteresses, spiritual adultery because you're supposed to be the bride of Christ. We turn from our groom to the world. We love it more than him. And we say, oh, I, want, I want the world. It's going to be there just for a little bit. And you probably want to get a perishable wreath in your life if you do that. You want to get anything. Was a prophet man who gains the whole world, loses his soul. And James 4 4 says, You adulteresses, know you not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whoever makes himself a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Jesus says, I've chosen you out of the world. Oh, yeah, it's going to be tough. Since so the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Chapter 15, verse 18 of John. 1 John 2 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is of the world is less the flesh, less the eyes, and the pride of life. And the world is passing away, and the lust thereof. But he who does the will of God abides forever. The crown of life. So we've been called out of this world system. And what, what's, what does it mean to be world? It means to love evil things. To have the same standards and adopt the standards of the world so you can fit in. Yeah, Jesus says the world will hate you. Paul said in 2 Timothy 3, terrible times would come. Lovers, maybe lovers of self and all that. But he says in verse 12, and all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Verse 13, he says, and evil men will, and seducers will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So people are going to be deceived, and they're going to be deceiving others, and they're going to, the Bible says don't run with the crowd and do evil. And the, the world's going the wrong way. Christians, we look at God's word, we say right is right. Amen? Wrong is wrong. The world says right is wrong and wrong is right. It's interesting. The world's called the left. Interesting. The woke are called the left. The irony that they're asleep and they're called left. And the Bible says the goats will be put on the left. It's even a proverb about taking the right and not the left. It's kind of a trip. It's like, wow. It's like they got that out of the Bible. In Satanism, you know, Satanism is called the left-hand path, by the way. Isn't that interesting? That's one of the terms they use for Satanism. The left-hand path. You guys, we don't want to follow the ways of the world. That's off the track. We are in the straight and narrow road, amen? That's the track that's laid out before us. Jesus said, enter the straight gate, right? For broad and spacious way, it leads to destruction. Many go that way. But narrow is the gate, and straight is the way, it leads to life. And few are those who find it, amen? Do not stick your finger in the, in the air, or do not be a coward and say, what's the world doing? I don't want, to be, I don't want anybody to make fun of me. Or, you know, and keep, and a lot of you are saying, no, I'm not worried about that. But man, what happens if... In your lifetime, you have to take a mark on your right hand or forehead to buy or sell with 666 on it. How about that? When you're not used to not even having your cell phone. 
We have to count the cost. We have to say, hey, that may or may not happen in our lifetimes, but we need to make sure that we stay on the straight and narrow. That's the road we're on. That's our racetrack. Amen? Amen. So this is all important stuff. And this stuff needs to be preached these days. Amen? These are the kinds of messages people need. Because right now, man, there's the woke crowd, and there's the left, and there's the, you know, this whole group that's, and all of a sudden we are racist because we believe that a man is a man and a woman is a woman. If you don't believe that, oh, you're a racist. It's like, we knew this was coming. We have to keep the faith, man. So when James says blessed, that means happy. That means blessed in God. I want to be blessed. Is, is, is a man that perseveres in a trial. For once he's been approved, he will receive the what? Crown of life. You want the crown of life? Most uh, commentaries, Greek scholars will point out the that the, the crown of life there is the crown which is life, eternal life. You know, we see the same terminology in uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, where they're being persecuted, the church there. They're going to be tested. The, Satan is ag- bringing up agitation against them. We wrestle against flesh and blood. He says to them, Fear none of the things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil will cast you into prison for 10 days that you may be tried or be tested. He says, be faithful until death. Be faithful how long? Until death. That's the end of your race. Be faithful unto death because you'll be tested for 10 days. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. I mean, don't fear man, even though you'll be in prison. What happened if you would just get arrested, man? You leave here. Wow, there's a bunch of cops that circle Blessed Oak Chapel. You didn't know it, man, because the law passed real fast, and all of a sudden you see Joe Biden. He has this big 666 on his head. He's whipped it out. That's not going to happen. So, you know, I mean, if it did, I'd be like, wrong, but I don't think that's going to happen. And all of a sudden, you all, we all get arrested, man, unless we take the mark of the beast. And it's not going to roll out that way. Uh, and, I mean, he might fit. He was dead and alive again because he's getting old. I don't know. But, you know, uh, but anyway, and then all of a sudden you have to, you know, take the mark or you're going to be thrown in prison and beheaded potentially. Some will be in prison, Revelation chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. Some will be beheaded. Others will run to the mountains and so forth. Uh, guess what? What would you do? Would you stand fast? Be faithful to death, he says, and I will give you this. This is important. For none of the things which thou shalt suffer, behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tested ten days, or for 10 days, that you may be tested, that you may be tried. Be faithful to death, and you will receive, the, here it is again, and you will receive the crown of life. There it is again. As I pointed out, most uh, commentators, and they're correct, the crown of life is life itself, eternal life. And the scriptures have this very interesting tension. We have what we already possess, salvation, amen? I write these things that you may know that you are what? Saved, amen? But the Bible says, he that Jesus says, he that endures the end will be what? Saved. And that's just not talking about the end of the tribulation. That has that application too. But in Matthew 10, he says the same thing. He that stands or perseveres to the end will be saved. He's not even talking about the tribulation there. He's talking about going and just being a witness. It has to do with standing fast in your faith. So it's important for you to understand that we're called to finish the race that's set before us. And, that, and the Bible talks about how we're already saved, but also talks about over and over again how we are being saved. And also talks about our salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed, amen? That we'll finally be saved. Because salvation is a process. If you got hit by a car on the way home, right? Somebody, put, kill, somebody came in here and killed you, pff, that person would be in such sorry shape. 
you'd be absent from the body and present with the Lord. Amen. You're already saved. Amen. But you're also being saved. You're being sanctified, becoming more like Christ. Amen. And in the resurrection, you're glorified. Amen. You receive your new body. Amen. Your final salvation. You persevere to the end. And then you receive a, a special resurrection, which we're going to talk about. Because at the end of the race, if you persevere, you have a special resurrection compared to the world. Ooh, and it is definitely uh, special. Now, look at chapter 9. I know we went to other verses, but I don't have time to turn to all of them, so I'm quoting some of them. But if you look at 9.26 now, Paul says, Therefore I run in such a way as not without what? As not without aim. Meaning I'm staying on the straight and narrow. I'm not just following my desires because he has self-control. He's staying on the racetrack. I box in such a way as not beating the air. I'm not just swinging at air. I'm not shadow boxing. I'm going for the knockout blow. You know? I'm, I'm serious about my walk with Jesus. I want to make sure it counts. What else does he do? Verse 27. But I discipline my body and make it my what? My slave. What's he disciplining his body for? He said earlier he has self-control. Now this is very important, you guys, because when I say that we're disciplining ourselves unto godliness and it's a spiritual exercise, it also connects to our body. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And Satan tries to rise up evil desires within our hearts. So we'll crave evil things. So we won't have self-control. But what does it mean? How did your race start, you guys? What did Jesus say in Luke 9.23? Nobody can be my disciple unless he does what? Unless he does, mention a couple things there. Three things. Unless he takes up his cross. Is that, dis, is that disciplining yourself? You're like, yeah, I'm, I'm taking up my cross. What was a cross? Execution, death to self. So when you come to Christ, you're saying, hey, not my will now, Lord. I'm doing your will. It's no longer about the, living my own life for myself and all the dreams that I had. No, it's about what's your will for my life, which blows away any dreams. I always say, man, you can have an ocean full of ink and a billion trillion pens, right? And write down all the best plans for your life for all eternity, and you'll never come up with the plan that already God already has. It blows away your best plan by, you know, ad infinitum. Just pfft. trust him, man. Trust him. He's got a, his brain, we don't, I don't know if we want to call it a brain, his mind, you know, is so superior to the collective consciousness of all humanity, which is not a drop, drop in the bucket compared to the ocean of God's immense intellect. Create the universe. Trust him with your life. Amen. I mean, you saw our track that we did our little 20 page booklet, right? Super celebrities and, right? Darkness, depression, devil. All these guys are empty, you know? Somebody ripped up a track and stuck it through our door. We had him on camera, so we love him. Pray, Lord, help that person. Somebody else sent a track back, and I saw it today, and it's like they sent it from out of town, actually. I'm not sure how they got it, or if they just mailed it from out of town. And it was like, how dare you write this stuff just to collect money? I'm like, what? It cost over 30000 to put all that out. We didn't ask for a red cent. <laughs> you know, I'm going to get that person some glasses. Lord, help them, you know. But uh, so, you know. But it's because of the reputation that, you just like if you have a bad, bad police officers, and all, they're all bad, which is ridiculous, right? You have these money-grabbing preachers. and uh, Actually, when we went door-to-door with a bunch of them, we were passing out what? Free gift certificates to free, for coffee for free that we had to pay for, right? Burgers, that's right. I forgot we had In-N-Out, free In-N-Out, you know? Then people are like, come to my house. Here, please. I'll listen to you preach for five minutes, you know? So 
It's interesting though, but you guys, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I, my, I myself will not be disqualified. We're called. Jesus says, you can't even be my follower, my disciple, unless you take up your crosses, deny yourselves. And how often do we deny ourselves? Daily, Daily and follow him. Amen. That was his call from the very beginning of our following Jesus. When you first came to Christ, you may not have understood what it meant fully because we, none of us did. You start reading his word, you're like, you want to be my disciple? You want to really be saved? You want to know me? You got to trust me. You got to follow me. You trust him. That means you follow him. So when Paul says here, I discipline my body and make it my slave, guess what? When you're a disciple, that's what you're already doing. You're saying, not my will, but your will be done. When people say, what does it mean to deny yourself? What does it mean to take your cross? I say, you know what it means? It means to say, not my will, but thy will be done. Aren't you glad Jesus did that when he was facing the cross the night before he was crucified and Satan was trying to deter him from going to the cross for you? He says, Father, if possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Because, Father, if this is the only way they can be saved, I'm going to the cross. As painful as it's going to be in being partaking of your wrath for entire, everything that's ever existed. Wow. Amazing. But Paul denies himself. Look at, but I discipline my body and make it my slave. So Paul wasn't chasing women, okay? He wasn't living for himself. So that after I have preached to others, so Paul's preaching salvation to others. He's telling them how to be saved. And he says he, he beats himself down. He disciplines himself. He stays on the track. So that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be what? Disqualified. Somebody said the Greek word. Who said that? Is that you, Mark? Somebody said the Greek word. Adakamas. Amen. It's adakamas. Right. And adakamas, that's an important Greek word. Because the word adakamas, that's an alpha. We just talked about when alpha, which we would translate as the letter A, but it's also alpha is also the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Corresponds with our A in English when you transliterate it. When you have an alpha before a word, it typically negates the next word. It's ah, ah. You say alpha with ah in Greek. Ah, dakamas. Okay, you got the D sound. You got the ah. The next is not, a, is not an alpha, but it's a, not an omega, which is the O is the O sound. It's an ah with a O with an ah sound. Ah, dakamas. So there's another omicron there. Ah, dakamas. Say, say adakamas with me. One, two, three. Adakamas. That's a serious word, man. And Paul preaches the gospel and beats his body down and makes it his slave. So after he's preached salvation to others, he himself would not be adakamas, which means rejected. Or as the NASB here has, disqualified. Or as the, or the King James, which I had it memorized early on in my Christian walk, has cast away, I believe. Cast away. Rejected. If you have the NIV, I think if I remember right, it has failing the test. Anybody have the NIV? Filling the test. And that's a good translation, actually. You might think it's weak. It's not actually a weak translation because the word dakamas without the A meant to pass the test. And it was used, for instance, of coins that were in circulation. And they could weigh them to make sure they had the value. But if coins could be in circulation for so long that they would lose their gold or they would lose their silver and they would be rejected. They'd weigh them and say, ah, or they'd look at them, they'd inspect them and say, this is rejected, man. 
it's not pure, it's not, you know, and it would be thrown out of circulation. And Paul's saying, hey, I, I want to be approved, dakamas. I don't want to preach to others and then get rejected by God. How serious is it to be a dakamas? Really serious. So serious. Go ahead and look at what he says in 2 Corinthians 13. Paul used this word consistently, by the way. 2 Corinthians 13. Look at what he says in verse 5. He says to the believers, the same Christians that he wrote to in 1 Corinthians, in his next letter, 2 Corinthians, test yourselves to see if you are what? Where? In the faith. So guys, this is really about being in the faith and continuing in the faith. We're not saved by our good works, amen? But good works are what? Evidence of faith, amen? James reminds us, faith without works is what? Dead. John the Baptist said, bring forth fruit in Matthew 3, in keeping with repentance, amen? Bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. Paul said, I think in Acts 20, he's before a king, and he says, you know, I preach, you know, uh, Bring forth works that are meat for repentance. That's King James. I have that memorized in. But M-E-E-T, meaning they correspond with repentance. So true repentance has fruit, has works. True faith has works. Amen? So some will say, well, you know, you can't, you don't get saved by works, so you can't lose your salvation by doing bad works. No? Guess what? You're not saved by works, that's for sure. But true saving faith works. Amen? Amen? If it's true faith, there's going to be works there. Amen? Those works don't save you, but they prove that the faith is what? Real and genuine. Amen? And it's the same thing with repentance. If I say I've repented of my sins, I turn to Jesus, but I'm like, you know, committing adultery, I'm getting drunk, I'm, you know, snapping bong loads, you know, I'm brawling with people, I'm an angry person, bitter and hateful toward everybody. I don't really look like I'm abiding in Christ, do I? No. Yeah. Where is that repentance? Amen? So what Paul is saying when he's saying, examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith, your behavior shows evidence as to whether you are truly in the faith or not. In fact, look what he says here. Verse 5. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you what? Fail the test. Guess what the word is right there for fail the test in the Greek? You all learned this Greek word, and some of you already knew it. What is it? It's a dakamas. I mean, we're talking about the issue of once saved, always saved. This is a checkmate connection right here. You move your queen, you move your king. Boom, boom. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, and 2 Corinthians 13, 5. And you look at how Paul used the word adakamas throughout his, his letters, and it's universally the same of those who fail the test, and we use it regarding salvation. In fact, the context here is, remember, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, when he's talking about running the race to win, right? He's talking about how he has self-control. He beats his body down so he can finish his race, so he won't be disqualified, adakamas. You know what he said a few chapters before that? When he talks about the guy that's having sex with his mom, he says that, you know, in 1 Corinthians 6, right after he talks about that guy, he says, that's where he says, don't be deceived. Adulterers and drunkards and fornicators and homosexuals and the effeminate, you know, men that act like women or want to be women. It's big today. 
and extortioners and thieves and drunkards, all those guys, he won't inherit God's kingdom. Be not deceived, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, he says, and he gives that list. That's why he beats himself down. So any evil cravings that come his way, he says no to temptation. Not that he's perfect, but he's still on the straight and narrow. Not that Paul never fell, right? Not that he never stubbed his toe. Not that he never, you know, got his knees or his uh, elbows bloody. But he got back up and stayed on the straight and narrow, amen? His life was not characterized by a life of wickedness, amen? And we ought to make sure that our lives are not being characterized by wickedness. We want to make sure if you're a married man, you are not committing adultery, amen? If you're an unmarried or a married woman, that you're not committing adultery, Okay, if you're single, you want to make sure you're not submerged in, in pornography, amen? And that you're not living in fornication, but that you're walking on the straight and narrow road, amen? And that all that's popular out there today, transgenderism stuff, that you just don't say, oh, I just want to just do what the world's doing, man. That's such an, or you're getting drunk. You know, you may say, well, I'm not getting drunk. I just get a little drunk. What if I said, well, I just commit a little adultery? You know what? That's still adultery, amen? Don't do it. Don't deceive yourself. So this important stuff, we need to stay on the straight and narrow road. Amen? The Lord loves us. He wants us, wants us to abide in Him. So, by the way, who's Paul talking to? In 1 Corinthians, I go to that passage, and I remind you of 1 Corinthians 6, in light of 1 Corinthians 9, about not being deceived, the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom, in light of Paul saying that he's, he, he continues to beat himself down so he wouldn't be disqualified to docomas, right? In light of the end of chapter 12 right here, which there's no chapter breaks in the Greek. It's just a long letter because right before he says what he says in chapter 5 about examine yourself to make sure that you're, you're in the faith, for Christ is in you, meaning you're saved, unless you are what? Adokamas. He's warning people at the, who at the end of chapter 12, look what he says. I'm afraid, verse 21, I'm afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you. And I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and what? Not repented of the impurity, immorality, and sensuality, which they have what? Practiced. Here's the key. All of us fall short of God's glory. Amen. Even the strongest Christians will fall short at times. But there's a difference from falling short of God's glory and, and asking for cleansing and continuing to walk with Jesus and practicing rebellion against God where you refuse to repent and turn back to God. Amen? So after he says, I'm concerned, because there's some he, I'm writing to that he dealt with in the last letter who still haven't repented of their wickedness. Examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Christ is in you unless you're what? A docomas. So he's definitely using that word for unrepentant people who do not have Christ in them. Amen? Amen. And that's the same word he says, I don't want to become, and I beat my body down. Pretty amazing, amen? amen? In fact, it's interesting because A.T. Robertson, I love A.T. Robertson. When I was a new pastor, you know, in my early 20s, uh, well, I, I became a pastor, I think, when I was like 27. So in my mid-20s, but before I became a pastor, uh, I loved the Bible. I loved to read and, and so forth. And, and I, I bought A.T. Robertson's, uh, you know, word pictures in the Greek. A.T. Robertson is considered by many to be the prince. He's called the prince of, the prince of Greek scholars. He's just an amazing Greek scholar. And a uh, top American scholar ever, many believe. He's passed away. He's older now. And it was, I think, six or seven volumes, uh, uh, you know, uh, word pictures of the Greek. It's great. I still have it. And it's something always stuck in my mind when I was going through reading what he was saying about the Greek text as a young Christian before I was a pastor. 
And it stuck in my mind. And here's what he says about Paul. When he says, Paul says he beats his body down. This apostle beats his body down. So after he's preached to others, right? He himself would not become a dokamas. A.T. Robertson says, it's a humbling thought for us all to see this wholesome fear instead of smug complacency in the greatest of all heralds of Christ. Let me read that again. It's a humbling thought for us all to see this wholesome fear instead of a smug complacency in, the, in this greatest of all heralds of Christ. In other words, if the apostle Paul, who was so radical for Jesus, right, beat his body down and made sure he stayed in the straight and narrow and made sure he's going to finish his race, and he had a wholesome fear of God, so he would not lose the crown of life, how much more should we? Amen? Take our walks with God seriously. It's pretty powerful. And Paul did, Paul was, Paul was just so awesome. And that's interesting. Back to 1 Corinthians 9. Because Paul goes on to warn the Corinthians now to not crave evil things, to stay on the straight and narrow. And look what he says. The very next verse, right after verse 27, in chapter 10, verse 1, remember there's no, no chapter breaks. Look at the first word. What's the first word in chapter 10, verse 1? Four. It's a conjunction. What he says now follows what he just said because now he's going to apply it to their lives. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, warning Christians, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. It's talking about when God set them free by the blood of the Lamb, right? The Passover Lamb is a picture of Christ from Pharaoh, who's a picture of Satan, from Egypt, who's a picture of the world, and brought them, was bringing them into the promised land, amen, which is a picture of our heavenly city. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. I mean, they had all these blessings from God and were all baptized into Moses, amen, in the cloud and in the sea. It's a picture of baptism. And they all ate what? The same spiritual food, the bread from heaven, which is a picture of who? Jesus says, I'm the bread that's come down from heaven, amen. They all had all these wonderful experiences in Christ. And look at this, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them. And the rock was who? Christ. Christ. They experienced Jesus, amen? And I don't want you to be unaware or ignorant, as I think the King James says, of this. What? What, Paul? Nevertheless, verse 9, with most of them, God was not what? Well, please, for they were what? Laid low in the wilderness. They were put to death by God before they got to the heavenly promised land. The picture of heaven. He wiped them out. Well, why is Paul mentioning this? Verse 6, he says, Now these things happened as what? Examples for us. So that we would what? Not crave evil things as they also craved. Wow. In other words, guess what? They didn't stay on the straight and narrow. They murmured. They complained. They whined against God. And right now, you're, you might be doing good in the Lord. But you don't know what trial is going to come your way. What you have to do is remain steadfast. You need to decide in your heart right now, no matter what trials come my way, I'm going to give it to Jesus, amen? I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavily burdened, I will give you rest for your souls, amen? Because he said, my burden is light. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I'll give you rest for your souls. So man, I want to run the race 
with Jesus. Amen? Because I'm not going to win it on my own. I'm going to win it in him. Amen? He's going to have to, I'm going to walk, but he's going to have to carry me. Amen? He's going to have to be the strength of my life. And I love that. that he, that's his desire. Look at verse 7. Do not be idolaters. Why? Well, Revelation 21.8 says idolaters go to the lake of fire. But Paul's talking about what happened to the, the Jews in, uh, that left Egypt that were freed. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and, drink and stood up to play. Remember that in Exodus? Verse 8, nor let us act immorally as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in one day. Verse 9, Lord, let us try the Lord, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents. Verse 10, nor grumble, it's a fifth example he uses, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Why does Paul give these five examples of people that were wiped out before they got to the promised land? Because Paul's saying he doesn't want to be disqualified. And these are examples of things that could happen to us. And then he says in verse 11, in case, and I, I love that Paul says in verse 11 because it shows me something. He kind of says what he just said in verse 6, but he repeats it because he wants us to draw a line from what God did to them and what could happen to us. Verse 11, now these things happened to them as what? An example. And they were written for what? Our instruction, meaning the Old Testament was written down. So we wouldn't say, oh, that has nothing to do with us. No, so we'd say, wait, that's a picture of what could happen to us. Upon whom what? The ends of the ages have come. Man, you guys... Some, now, the, by the way, I'm going to tell you right now. I'm just going to be, be just honest with you. I've got to be honest. That's the only way I can be. This mess, what I'm preaching right now does not preach well in America. Most pastors will explain everything I'm saying away right now. I'm not kidding you. I love my Baptist brethren, but many Baptist churches, they'll read this and say, oh, maybe you'll lose some rewards. Or, you know, or Paul's not talking. Paul just doesn't want to be a crackpot. That means he doesn't want to be a pot that's like cracked and then put up on the, in, in, in the shelf and just not used anymore. But he's still going to heaven. I'm not kidding you. But when we look at the, how a docomos is used, that's not what he's talking about. Amen? Amen? And then these verses are just skipped over. Some will even try to make a disconnect between verse chapter 9 and chapter 10. But Paul is illustrating what happened of the, to those who didn't get the imperishable crown, who failed to finish the race. Amen? Amen. And that race is not a sprint. Amen? How long, how, how long did they wander in the wilderness? 40 years. 40 years, man. It's a marathon. Now, it's interesting. We, he wants us to pay attention, like he is, to our walks with Jesus. If you're thinking, hey, I'm standing in Jesus, that's great. But look what he says, verse 12. Therefore, let him who what? Thinks he stands, what? Take heed that he does not fall. He does not want us to fall away off the racetrack into outer darkness on the broad road that leads to destruction. Amen? He wants to stay the course. This is so important, you guys. And praise the Lord. You guys that are staying the course, you guys, gals, all of us who are keeping your eyes on Jesus, praise the Lord, you're going to be so blessed. And how long have you been a believer? Well, don't give up now. Amen. Keep, keep, your, keep going forward in Jesus. Amen. Keep going forward in him. Say, yeah, but you don't know what I'm going through, Joe. I'm going facing temptation that no one's faced before. Oh, yeah? Look at verse 13. No temptation is overtaking you, but such as is what? Common to man. 
But Joe, it's so weird. Yeah, a lot of people have gone through it, believe it or not. That temptation, yeah. Don't give in. I think it was Martin Luther who said, you can't keep birds from flying around your head, but you sure can keep them from building a nest in your hair. Amen? And don't blame God. James says in James chapter 1, verse 13, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, he says. Neither does he tempt any man. But every man is tempted when he's laid, led away by his own lust, carried away and enticed by his own lust, he says. And he gives into it. And he says, then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. And then he says, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. <gasps> Whoa. In other words, we could be deceived. Oh, I'm not going to die. And by the way, you know those verses that say, let no one say he was tempted not being tempted by God. Don't blame God. For God doesn't tempt anyone because God's a good God. Because he goes on to say, that's where he goes on to say, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. Amen? Because he's a good God. There's no shadow of turning him. He's perfect. Don't blame God. He's always perfect. If there's something wrong, it's us. Amen? But you know, he says, don't let anyone say he's tempted and so forth. Right after, he says in verse 12, which I already quoted, blesses man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will see the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Amen? So you have the crown of life road. Amen? Where you persevere to the end, or you give in to temptations to fall off the track. And you end up having death, and that's where he says, do not be deceived, my, my beloved brethren. Guess what? A lot of Christians are deceived right now. Millions, millions of Christians in our country are taught that they don't need to stay on the narrow road, that they don't need to finish the race, and they'll just lose some rewards. They're going to be shocked when they hear, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. God doesn't want you to go there. That's, that fire was created for the devil and his angels. When Satan rebelled, and guess what? God doesn't want you to go there. He doesn't will that any would perish, amen, but that all would come to repentance. Now, it's interesting that Paul speaks the way he speaks here because go ahead and look at Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And it's interesting. Look what Paul says here. He's talking about this race again that we're in. Verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, Paul says, before he was, when he's a Pharisee, when he was in high standing among the Jewish leaders. By the way, John, it's so good to see you. Love you, man. Praise the Lord, you're doing, doing good, man. You look great. I just got to say that. I haven't seen John in a little bit because he was in the hospital and he's doing good in Jesus. My wife says, sometimes I think you have ADD because you'll be preaching and you'll say hi to someone. No, because I've seen John like three or four times. It's on my heart and I want to say hi before he leaves. I love him. Good to see you, Johnny. <laughs> Whatever things, I'm going to keep doing that because it's on my heart a lot, you know. Uh, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing, surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them all but what? Call them but rubbish. And the Greek word means, could mean trash or excrement. It means both, actually. Compared to what? Finding Christ. He says that I may gain Christ. He doesn't let the things in the world drag him down. He doesn't go back to them because he, he goes on to say he's counted them as dung. King James has dung, I think, 
Why? And then look what he says, verse 9. And may be found in him. Why? He, he says, I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law. I mean, as a Pharisee who said was self-righteous that, man, I keep God's law. No, you're going to be doomed, man. You need the blood of Christ to cover you, amen? You need to be forgiven. You need, you need to, sins to be taken away. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, amen? So we stand by our faith. The works, that's just evidence that we're in the faith, amen? That I may what? Know him and the power of his what? Resurrection. And the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain. Now look at this. Verse 11 is interesting. In order that I may attain to the what? Resurrection from the dead. Paul wants to partake of... Now does he... Why would he talk like that way if it was a foregone conclusion? Because he hasn't yet persevered. But he's saying, I'm doing this because I want to persevere. Because I want to obtain what? The resurrection from the dead, amen? Ooh, and the word he uses for resurrection is very interesting here, okay? It's anastasis, but it's not anastasis. That's part of it. The typical Greek word you see throughout the New Testament for resurrection is anastasis. If you're taking notes, it's A-N-A, like Anna or Anna with just one N, A-N-A. It's a compound word. And, uh, and then it's stasis. The word Anna is up, like to rise up. And stasis, S-T-A-S-I-S, would be the transliteration of that in the Greek. Anastasis means to upstand or to stand up or resurrect, rise up. It means to rise up. It can be translated resurrect. Rise up was used of the resurrection of bodies. It was used of standing up or rising up. Anastasis, really cool Greek word. But that's not, Paul doesn't just use the compound anastasis here for resurrection. He uses another word right in front of these two words. It's a compound of three words in the Greek. It's unique to the New Testament here. And the first Greek word he uses is ek. E-K. A transliteration would be E-K. Ek. Or we would write it E-X if we wrote it down. Ex anastasis. So if you're taking notes, you'd write E-K or just E-X anastasis. Guess what ek means? We've talked about that proposition, preposition before. You got it, Jimmy. You said it. What does it mean? Out. out. means out from or out. Out. Ooh, what does he mean here? What's he talking about? He's not just using the word for resurrection. He uses the word, he goes, and it's important that we get this because he says, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, but he says literally that I may obtain the ex anastasis from the dead. That's interesting. Because the word ek means out from. So Paul is looking forward to the resurrection, but he wants to be a partaker of Jesus' resurrection. He wants to be a partaker of the ex-anastasis, not just the anastasis. Now, if the anastasis is not a bad word. It's great. It's resurrection, and, and it can be used of a resurrection to destruction or resurrection to life. But Paul makes sure he uses the word ex-anastasis here because he wants us to understand that he wants to be part of that special resurrection. What special res resurrection? There'll be a resurrection, as you know. Daniel chapter 12, in the Old Testament. Daniel talks about how the, that people will be raised from the dust. Right? And he talked about those, there'll be some that'll be raised to everlasting condemnation or everlasting contempt. The wicked. And he talks about the righteous, that they'll be resurrected. This is chapter, 10 of Dan chapter 12 of Daniel, verses 1 and 2. He talks about the righteous we resurrected to eternal life. Jesus said in John 5, 28 and 29, 
Then shall come forth. They shall hear his voice. The dead shall hear his voice. Then shall come forth they that have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. Two resurrections. So Paul is saying here he wants to partake of what? The ex-anastasis. Because everybody's going to be resurrected. If you're wicked, you'll be resurrected and you'll stand before God at the great way of throne judgment and you'll be sentenced to the lake of fire forever. Be thrown there in a resurrected body. That's gnarly, man. But those who are of the ex-anastasis, they're resurrected out from among the rest of the dead. You want to catch the first train. You want to catch the first resurrection. Why? Because quickly go to Revelation, Revelation chapter 20, and Jesus uh, here is, we got the revelation of Jesus Christ, and when you get there, go to Revelation chapter 20. We don't have time to get into all of it here, but at Christ's second coming, we read in verse 4, then I saw thrones. He comes back in Revelation 19. That's the second coming. That's right before the millennium. That's why we're pre-millennial. We're not pre-trib, but we're pre-millennial. Jesus comes back before the millennium. I saw thrones, and they that sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus, because of the word of God, and those, he's talking about three different groups here, by the way, and those who had not worshipped the beast and uh, his image, three different righteous groups, the souls, he sees a, a big group of people that are judging on the altar, or there on the altar, those who kept the word of God, and then those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand, and they came to what? came to life, that's resurrection, and reigned with Christ for what? A thousand years. The rest of the dead, the rest of the dead, the rest of the dead did not come to life until what? The thousand years were completed. Okay? That's a thousand years later. But this resurrection that he first talks about, he calls it, this is the what? First resurrection, verse 6. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the what? First resurrection. Over these, the second death has what? No power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ, and will reign with him for a thousand years. Isn't that awesome? So I mean, you want to catch the first train. When Jesus comes back, you want to be resurrected out from the dead. Out from among those who will be resurrected later, a thousand years plus later. Amen? You want to be part of the ex-anastasis. Amen? Out from among the dead. In fact, I looked at a bunch of translations because, man, I'm like, I'm not used to seeing translations that translate anything but resurrection. So I looked, like a couple, I looked at a couple dozen translations when I was getting ready for the study or so. And look at what I found. The Brian literal. So the literal translations tend to bring it out more. The Brian literal Bible says, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from out of dead. <laughs> the, God, uh, the good be uh, New Testament says, if perchance I may attain unto the resurrection which is out from the dead. The literal emphasis translation, if somehow I might attain unto the resurrection from out of the dead. The world, New Testament, if by any means I may attain to the out resurrection from the dead. That's the best word order, by the way. The literal translation there. So, and by the way, go ahead now and go ahead and pick it up at verse, uh, go ahead to Philippians chapter 3 and look at verse 12. What does Paul say here? Not that I have already obtained it, or I've already become perfect. This is Philippians 3.12. Not that I've already obtained it, or I've already become perfect, but I what? I press on, so that I may lay hold of that which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching, toward, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press toward the goal for the what? 
the prize, because there's a conflict, for the prize of the what? Upward call of God in Christ Jesus, amen? That's the out-resurrection from among the dead, amen? Are you with me? That's given to the overcomers, those who continue in the faith and persevere to the end. Are you with me tonight? I love what, and by the way, that fits really well, Revelation 20. Blessed and holy is the one who's, those who receive the first resurrection. Second death has no power over them, amen. With Revelation 2, which I quoted earlier, verse 10, right? Fear none of the things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast somebody to prison that you may be tried, right? You have tribulation, or 10 days, that you may be tried. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you what? The crown of life. But you know what the very next verse says, which I didn't quote, verse 11? It's a promise to the overcomer. You know, he blesses the overcomer, for he will not be a partaker, he says, of the second death. Because that's the second resurrection. But he'll receive the crown of life instead. So we're seeing the crown of life is being juxtaposed with death. It's not just some reward. It's contrasted with eternal damnation over and over again. And you know what? A really cool scripture in Hebrews 11, verse verse 35. You got all the Hall of Faith chapter, right? Hall of Faith chapter is awesome. You have all these people who we're supposed to look at as examples, as witnesses to us who kept the faith, who died of the faith. In fact, in chapter 11, verse 13, when he's going through the Hall of Faith chapter of all these Old Testament saints who kept the faith, he says, these all died in the faith. But you know what he says in verse 35? Listen to this. I love this, man. It's pretty crazy. It's pretty trippy, pretty interesting scripture. In 11.35, Paul writes, or the author of Hebrews writes, women received back their dead by resurrection. And others were tortured. They were tortured. Not accepting their release. Why would you be tortured, but you can be released? And you don't accept it. It's because they were tortured, but they would accept the, be released if they would what? Recant their faith, right? Well, why did they not recant their faith? Listen to this. Very heavy. Others were tortured, not accepting their release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. Bang! Wow! Isn't that awesome? Because they want to be resurrected from the dead and be part of the ex, right? Anastasis. Out from among the wicked. Do not take the mark. Amen. Do not give in. Some people, millions of professing Christians, the mark will be something come out and they just give in. Start getting drunk, start partying, start hanging out with the worldly people. I'll tell you what, man, I, would, I, I used to do that stuff before I was saved. There's no joy in that. That's a lie anyway, man. I have a billion times more joy that I, in Christ than I had in the world. I've never regretted being a Christian. I regretted not knowing Christ, especially when you become a believer. You're like, wow, I missed out on knowing the Lord. I was treating my Lord and Savior like that. I'm looking at the clock, and I have a few verses I want to go to, but I have to go with the clock today because I think we got a good feeding, right? Okay? I want to go to Hebrews 12, where it says to look to Jesus, the author of the finisher of faith. Amen. I want to go to 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8, where Paul says, I've kept the faith. You know, I've fought the good fight. I've, I've finished my course and all those verses. But in Acts 20, I didn't consider my own life dear to myself so I could finish my race. Don't be focused on yourself, man. Focus on Jesus. Amen. The author and the perfecter of faith. Amen. Praise the Lord. Can we all stand?